You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. So I don't want to miss this, right? I don't want to miss this moment. I don't want to miss these babies growing up because you blink, and next week, by the way, is Grad Sunday. <laughs> um, we'll be celebrating our graduates next Sunday, and um, and I think about my own kids. Um, Grayson was born shortly after we came to this church, and um, and here we are, and he's coming into the student ministry this year. Um, so I will have all three of my kids in student ministry. Um, so don't blink, right? Like, don't miss the moment. And we've all been told that, right? Like, to live in the moment, right? Don't don't uh, stress about the future and don't live in the past. And I think Jesus gets at this in the Sermon on the Mount when he tells us not to worry about our life, what we, what we will eat or drink or, or wear, but to trust God to provide. And then he says, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. And I hope that we agree with Jesus or at least submit to his lordship on this because we have the world telling us all kinds of other things, right? The world's telling us to plan for your future, to set aside resources for college or home or retirement or whatever the next thing is. And we stress about the busy week ahead and we stress about what's going to happen an hour from now. And on the other side, we shouldn't live in the past, but we also have God telling us to remember Right? He's constantly telling us to remember him, to remember his commandments, to remember their story, the history of, of who we are in him. So we have this God leading us to not stress about the future and not to live in the past, but to remember and learn from mistakes and to remember all that God has done and to celebrate these seasons and these holidays that remind us of our story and our history. I got some bad news. You can't live in the moment. Like, that stinks, right? Like, you want to live in the moment, but you can't do it. Because every moment that we experience is actually the past. Right? Take, for, take right now, for instance. The words that I speak, the sound leaves my mouth, and it takes time to travel to your ears, even if it's the slightest amount of time. Now, your ears have to translate that into electrical, electrical signals for your brain, and then your brain has to process those sounds into language, and you have to figure out what I just said and whether or not you're going to listen or just let it go. Right? It, it, it takes the slightest millisecond. Even this experience that we consider right now is actually the past, even if it's the slightest millisecond behind. The same is true for light right? and sight and smells and touch. It all has to be processed. The light has to reflect and travel, and our mind has to process, which means that moment that you just processed, processed is actually the past. It's a memory. So it's actually appropriate that God asks us to remember, and it's good that we've been in this series called Remember the Beautiful One. And today, I want us to remember to breathe. So right now, let's take a minute. I just, I just delivered this mind-blowing, tragic news that you can't live in the moment, so we need a moment. So we're going to go in through our nose and out through our mouths. Are you ready? In, two, three, four, out. In, two, out, two, good. You guys can breathe. That's good. Appreciate that. So this this breath, like we, we don't focus on it too much, right? There's a story in Exodus three that reveals God working to bring justice to the Hebrew people that have been enslaved and oppressed by the dominant empire of the day, which was Egypt. 
God has heard their cry, and he begins the rescuing, the liberating, and the saving of his people, and God chooses to work through a man named Moses. And he's always, he's always inviting us, right? Those he, he created in his image to join him in restoring everything. God's call extends to Moses from a burning bush. And Moses approaches this bush wondering why it's not burning up and, and, and what it is that God is up to, right? And, and that's when he hears God voice, God's voice telling him to remove his sandals because this is holy ground. And so Moses is awakened to the fact that this ground is holy. It's an awakening that God invites him into. It's an awakening that God invites us into. The ground didn't just become holy. God created it, and it's always been holy. But Moses hadn't been aware of it, which raises the question for us, is the ground we are on holy, right? And in every place, all the time, it's holy. There's burning bushes all around us all the time, but we're too distracted and too busy to notice. And so we get down in Exodus 3, and Moses is making excuses as to why it should not be him who God sends. And so he asks God, if I go to the Israelites and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me, and they ask me, what is his name? What should I tell them? And God replies to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the Israelites, Yahweh the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is how I am to be remembered in every generation. So God's name, I am. God's name, Yahweh. In Exodus 6, we come to this passage where God says that I appeared to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob as God Almighty, but my name, the Lord, I did not make myself fully known to them. So this, this Yahweh, this word in, in most Bibles is translated capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, and we read it as Lord. And it's pronounced by some as Yahweh. But the Hebrew language didn't have vowels. So these letters, they fit together, and we fill it in with the ah and the way. But there's, these letters are, some scholars say, unpronounceable, which points to just how mysterious and bigger than our own comprehension God is, how completely other he is, how holy he is. Now, these scholars say this, this unpronounceable group of letters is just the sound of our own breathing. So you have yod, exhale, he, inhale, va, exhale, he, inhale. So if you are breathing, you are speaking the name of God. It's as if the Creator put something within us to remind us of Him, to draw us back to Him. It's as if He had something in mind in giving us breath, some purpose for our life that has to do with Him. Now, each day we take about 26,000 breaths, making up about 14,000 liters of air. And we don't even focus on our breathing because we don't need to. It happens involuntarily. This vital part of life, this source of energy and sustenance, is something that we rarely think about. In our world of stress and anxiety and busyness, our breath becomes increased and inefficient when we breathe from our chest instead of our abdomen. It's rushed, and we take about 16 to 20 breaths a minute. But when we practice things like meditation and when we focus on our breathing deeply and intentionally, with focus given to each inhale and each exhale, 
They can turn that 16 to 20 to 4 to 6 good quality breaths per minute, which is actually more healthy. Inhaling deeply through our nose and holding that breath for a moment, allowing the body to absorb the good from that breath while separating the bad and then exhaling through the mouth the bad and the excess. Now, the beauty of this understanding has all sorts of implications, like how we use our breath to speak, to live, to work, how we treat one another. If we understand God to be close and not far off, understanding that it's in him that we live and move and breathe, that God is as close as our breath, then that should have real and practical impact impact on how we view ourselves and how we view others and how we view the world around us. Now, I'd like to think that I'm aware of God, that he is close, right? I have this head knowledge that God is omnipresent, right? That's a big word for everywhere all the time. He's filling all of the spaces that I inhabit, but I still live as if he's not here. Like I have a head knowledge and I believe that he is within me, making this body a temple, but I still treat this body poorly and I use it to do things that are not according to his kingdom. I have head knowledge. I believe that you are made in his image, that his presence is very real in you, every single human being, but I treat others poorly sometimes. I don't love as I should deeply and intentionally. I live in love rushed with shallow 16 to 20 breaths a minute love. And I know the ground is holy, right? I I know that there are burning bushes of God's presence all around me all the time, but I don't take off my sandals. I need constant reminders to wake up to his presence, to be present with him, to give him my attention because he's already given me his. But I hope that this reality of Yahweh, right, the sound of our own breath speaking the name of God can help reawaken us over and over again to the very real presence if we'll just remember to breathe. Because the whole earth is filled with his glory. Over and over and again in the Psalms, the psalmists point to creation as revealing God's glory, as revealing something that is true about him. His creation is his first revelation of knowledge about himself, right? It's the first testament. The the breath that formed the words, that formed creation, is the divine breath that created everything and gives life. So there's this video that shows this time lapse of the earth and the seasons passing. And what you'll see is, uh, if you go, yeah, go ahead and play it. Uh, Which is, oh, it won't be played. As the uh, the seasons pass, it's a month by month um, time lapse over several years. As the, the seasons pass, you'll see the snow moving south, the snow and the ice moving south during the winter months and then moving back up during spring and summer and then back down, and it's as if the earth is breathing. talked about coccolithophores, right? They're this 
this type of phytoplankton um, that sacrifices itself rather than let this virus spread. So there's trillions of these coccolithophores, these phytoplankton, they die, and then another phytoplankton blooms. And this process means that carbon dioxide is absorbed and oxygen is released. It's our earth breathing. And that oxygen that is released by these phytoplankton on the surface of the ocean accounts for half of the oxygen on our planet. So every other breath that you breathe is because of this cycle of phytoplankton dying and other phytoplankton coming to life. And the earth is filled with his glory. You are created in the image of God. The first word breathed about you was good. You have life. You have breath. You move. You add beauty to this creation. Psalm 8 says that he crowned you with glory and honor. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Now, when you take this idea to a deeper level, to a communal level, it gets even more beautiful. When we gather and do things like singing and like liturgy, what's happening with our breath? When we speak scripture out loud together with one voice, when we sing together and create this beautiful sound, there's this, this harmony because our, our voices create unity. Our breath is coming in sync together. We are speaking the name of God together. When John and the praise team lead us in song, it's not a performance, right? It, it's to draw us all into this melody and this rhythm and these lyrics where in a very real way we approach the throne of God together, Yahweh, speaking his name. And this beauty of singing like this is that our voices, our breath submits to one another, right? Some of you know music and know harmony and actually have some talent and you can add beauty <laughs> to the singing. Some of us are just trying to mimic you and, and do our best to fit in. But, but what you don't have is anyone trying to sing over one another, right? There's, there's not voices fighting to be the loudest or to increase the tempo or to change the melody. We're all mutually submitting to one another. And at some point, there's no leader. We're all one voice. And if someone's trying to be the loudest or if someone's trying to increase the tempo or change the melody, the song loses beauty, it loses harmony, it loses rhythm. I think this points to something deeper and truer about us, that we can create beauty together. But it means that we have to submit to one another. It's another one of our values, WCC's values on our website, is mutual submission. It says this, it says, disagreement is an opportunity to set apart Jesus as Lord because his spirit lives within each believer. Believer, we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. As a community of faith, we turn one ear up to God as we turn one ear out to each other. As pastors, we practice shared leadership. As a church, we practice communal discernment. We are not a corporation or a well-managed club. We are a wounded but healed, scarred but beautiful body of Christ. And each person in our faith community is important. So this mutual submission is how this beauty is created. You're going to have to come alongside someone who is singing out of key, right? Providing a loving example for them to join with you. And if you want to sing better, go stand by one of the singers on the praise band. Right? Like you will start to sing better because you hear them and you try to mimic them. And I mean that literally, but I also mean that figuratively because these ladies are strong followers of Christ, right? Living a life worthy of imitating, that you can imitate them as they imitate Christ. And I can point to our staff and our elders, our shepherds, 
I can point to our Kids Connect team staff or our student ministry team staff or our recovery ministry leaders, our missional community leaders. You can come alongside them and you can join and make a harmony with them because they are following Christ and you can follow them. And so we join together with Jesus to create beauty, not when we're trying to get our way, but when we join in the song by mutually submitting to each other, when we bring our breath in line with each other, when we align our lives with Christ and live in tune with him, mutually submitting to him and to one another, the whole earth is filled with his glory. Our breath can also lead us into compassion and justice. It's that sigh, right? that breath that we release when we see the injustice in this world, when we see that there is not beauty, when we see that God's glory is not being displayed, when, we, when the reign of sin and death is at work, when things are broken and not right, we feel it in our gut, our compassion is stirred, and we join Jesus in a deep sigh, a groan of wanting things to be made right. We see Jesus' sighs in Mark 7, 32 through 35, when Bodies don't work like they should. When people are outcasts for any reason, whether it's disability or a sickness or a stigma or a class system or a gender or a socioeconomic situation or a race or a nationality, Jesus sighs deeply if anyone is outcast. He sighs deeply if bodies don't work the way they should. It's a breath crying out God's name to bring justice into this injustice, to fix what is broken in this world so that the whole earth might be filled with his glory. The sound of our breathing is speaking God's name. His name is Yahweh. So maybe the third commandment uh, found in Exodus 20, do not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Maybe it has more to do with our breath, right? How we live our life, how we use the life that has been given to us. Maybe it has more to do with that than with cussing. <laughs> the idea of breath throughout history has been linked to life, right? The physical breath that you and I have is a picture of something deeper and something bigger. It's this idea of breath is spirit. So as long as you have breath, as long as you are alive, you have your spirit. Or is it as long as you're speaking the name of God, you have your spirit. Since breath and life and, and spirit are closely connected throughout history, there's this idea even in language that the same word for breath is the same word for spirit. It's true in the Hebrew and Greek of the Bible and other languages like Latin and Sanskrit. Breath is also spirit. It's true for the Hebrew word, word ruah. It's breath and it's spirit. It's true for the Greek word pneuma. It's breath and it's spirit. And in our English Bibles, when we see this word translated, sometimes it's breath, sometimes it's spirit. And so this same spirit, breath, of God that hovered over the waters of creation is the same spirit or breath when God breathed words to create everything. And then he created you from the dust, right? You're nothing more than this pile of dirt, right, that God formed. And that's the paradox of being human is that we're fragile, we're vulnerable, we're not much more than a pile of dirt, yet we are breathed into by God. Genesis 2.7, Then the Lord formed the man out of the dust from the ground and breathed the breath of life into his nostrils. The man became a living being. God's breath created everything. 
And he breathed into you, right? He, he breathed into you the breath of life and you are here now and you exist and you are breathing and the sound of your breath is your creator's name. And we see throughout scripture this understanding of our breath being the result of God's breath, our spirit being the result of God's spirit. In the book of Job, we have one of Job's, Job's friends consoling him. And he speaks to this understanding that he and Job are in the same boat. Like we both have life because of God's breath because of God's spirit. It says, the spirit of God has made me and the breath of the almighty gives me life. I am just like you before God. I was also pinched off from a piece of clay. And then there's this idea in Ezekiel in his vision of the valley of dry bones. Maybe some of you have heard of that. God takes Ezekiel and shows him this valley of dry bones and asks, can these bones come back to life? And Ezekiel is like, I don't know. <laughs> He's like, only you know, God. In Ezekiel 37, 6, it says this. It says God um, commanding the bones to come to life. He says, I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord, which is Yahweh. Then you will know that I am Yahweh. The Hebrew scriptures paint this picture that it's the breath or the spirit of God that gives and sustains all of life. The followers of Jesus took it to the next level, right? They believed that the spirit of God could dwell within them. Jesus said that he would send the spirit to live in them, making them a temple, making them a sanctuary. Romans 8 talks about this, talks about God's spirit living within us, giving us the same resurrection power that raised Christ from the dead will also raise us, right? The spirit within us gives us strength to do things we couldn't do on our own. God's spirit within us gives us guidance. God's pneuma, right? His breath, his spirit within us sanctifies us. It cleans us. It purges the bad and it fills us with the good. And so the question for you today, is there anything that you need to breathe out? Is there anything within you that's stifling your spirit, right? The pain or the burden or the sin, what is it that you need to exhale? What is it that the spirit within you needs to clean out? Or what is it you need to take in? What are you lacking? Is it something that God gives generously, like grace or mercy or forgiveness, or maybe peace or understanding or wisdom? What is it that you need to breathe in? Because if the spirit is within me and the spirit is within you, and that changes everything, right? That means that we are connected on a spiritual level to the divine, right? We have the breath of God living within us. And since you and I make up the body of Christ and the Spirit dwells within us and among us and between us, what does that mean as we function as the body of Christ? It means we follow him closely. We breathe his breaths. We speak his words. We're his hands and his feet. Now in 2 Timothy 3.16, Paul uses this word that's only used once in the Bible, this, this word God-breathed. It says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And so this word, God-breathed, is made up of two words. Uh, one of them is pneuma and one of them is God. And so this God-breath is scripture. And so we call the Bible inspired, right? And that's a, that, that has a Latin root. Um, and it has the idea of spirit. Spire is, is spirit and breath. So it's breathed into. So there's this idea that, that God breathes scripture to us. 
So just as scripture is God-breathed, so are you, right? You are God-breathed. You are created by God's breath. You have the Spirit of God living within you. Now, there's a story about um, Jacob wrestling with God. God wrestles with Jacob on the side of this river, and he leaves Jacob with this new identity. Now, Jacob, the, the name Jacob, means deceiver. And this particular Jacob, I'm not saying all Jacobs, this particular Jacob was living up to his name. Um, and, and God cha- gives him a new identity. God changes his name to Israel. Now, Israel means, well, it's not really clear what Israel means, yet there's so much uh, beauty and nuance and there's so much depth to it. Um, but there's some agreement that, that this idea of Israel is this struggle. Uh, Israel means struggle, that God is... Um, uh, that Jacob is struggling with God, and God um, is struggling with Jacob. And it, and it has this idea to struggle with God. And sometimes I struggle with God, right? I, I struggle with the idea of God. I struggle with whether or not I believe uh, that God exists, right? There's that struggle. And then there's a struggle when my will doesn't always align with God's will, and there's, there's that kind of struggle. But there's also this struggle that God invites us into, this, this idea that God invites us into um, the struggle of restoring everything with him. So God, God invites us into the struggle, and God invites us, to, um, invites us into the, um, the one another commands that we need to take seriously as we together breathe in the name of God. So we're in the struggle. Last week we talked about the battle, right? We talked about the battle being not against flesh and blood, but against the cycle that says, that there should be a battle against flesh and blood, the cycle of revenge and the cycle uh, of uh, violence continuing. We, we, we don't end the struggle, right? This is still going to be a struggle. Believe me, raising these babies, being a family of WCC, it's going to be a struggle sometimes. But our struggle is not against flesh and blood. And when we struggle with God, when we mutually submit to him and to each other, when we remember to breathe, then we can fight the right battle. And Jesus invites us into this, right? In in Matthew 25, he says, as you have done unto the least of these, you've done unto me, right? He gets it. This this holy breath that's within you and this holy breath that's within me, it matters how we treat one another. It matters what we do with our lives, with our breath. What we do to someone else, how we treat someone else matters. And so that means we have to live into these one another verses, right? There's... uh, a ton of one another verses in the Bible, right? Our, in, in our God-breathed scripture, God tells us to love one another, to forgive one another, to encourage one another, to gather with one another, to be hospitable, to per- push each other toward good works, to carry on, to carry each other's burdens. And don't judge one another. Don't lie to one another. Don't be conceited. Submit to one another. Serve one another. Love one another. Love one another. Love one another. Love one another. And Peter adds, love one another with an intense love. And we talked about this a few weeks ago, this idea that God invites us into this intense love, and it's this stretched out love, right? It's a love that struggles, and it will be stretched sometimes. Sometimes it means breathing for one another. When I can't speak the name of God on my own, right? you, you, you might have to speak it on my behalf. Before a baby is born and takes its first breath of air, mama is breathing for the baby. 
right? Like, like her lungs are providing the oxygen the baby needs. And sometimes doctors or paramedics or our ERT staff might have to breathe for one of you if you can't breathe on your own. And it's in this very serious situation, right? This, where this child is depending on you to speak the name of God when that crisis hits or that tragedy leaves you breathless. It will be me or it will be your missional community or it will be somebody in your WCC family that will speak God's name on your behalf. We have to love one another with a stretched out love, even when I'm hard to love, even when you're hard to love, even when, when that love becomes a struggle and it has to stretch a little bit more. We will love one another because church, I'm going to need you. Church, you're going to need each other. We're going to need each other. And it's going to stretch us, and it's going to be a struggle. But we need to remember to breathe. <laughs>